What is on your game shelf? Is it Scrabble or Monopoly or maybe a chessboard? The games that we like reveal so much about who we are, says renowned Oxford mathematician Marcus Dusotoy. Games are examples of living archaeology, telling us about the culture of the people who play them. And Marcus says maths is just below the surface of many games, which he argues makes him the ideal tour guide to introduce us to ancient ones, new ones, and perhaps some forgotten ones. His new book is called Around the World in 80 Games. A mathematician unlocks the secrets of the greatest games. And Professor Marcus Dusotoy joins me now. Hello. Hello. And it starts with a lovely dedication to my sister Charlotte, a worthy adversary across the game boards of my childhood. Um, So many of us had our siblings as our first opponents. What are some of your fondest memories of games from your childhood? Well, uh, there's a very infamous game of Monopoly that we played where my sister just stormed away into the lead and I was convinced she must have been uh, uh, putting her hand in the bank. <laughs> and I threw the board up in uh, in uh, just so, so dismayed that I was losing the game. So I think that's gone down in our family history. Um, the other one is, is Dungeons and Dragons. We got a Dungeons and Dragons set one Christmas and uh, I became Dungeon Master and it was very sweet looking over the notes that uh, I found of that game. Uh, the things my sister took on her trip were things like... Um, uh, smoked salmon and a southern cu- a bottle of southern comfort. <laughs> so like she was well prepared yeah. for, the, for the Dungeons and Dragons. That's great. On Monopoly, by the way, that, that's not your favourite game because, and we'll get into what makes a game a game. <laughs> but the, but the problem with Monopoly is that halfway through it becomes pretty clear who's going to win. Yeah, I think that's one of the traits that I'm looking for in a good game is that you shouldn't really know right up until the last moment um, who's going to win. And in Monopoly, I just think it's flawed because about a third of the way through, you know who's going to win and then you just spend hours bankrupting the other players. So <laughs> so I think that's a fundamental flaw. It's just um, you know who's going to win too early on in that game. Yeah, you do have a tip for Monopoly though, which is to buy the red, I and, do. red, and, yellow, red and yellow properties. Do I have that right? The or- orange properties, yes, the, the red and orange. Orange in particular, because um, uh, you the most visited square on the Monopoly board is the jail square, because there are actually loads of ways to go to jail. You know, you can land on it or be sent by the square opposite, which sends you to jail. There are chance cards. You even get punished if you do three doubles in a row mm. and get sent to jail, which I think is very unfair. But, okay, you can't buy jail. But then here comes the maths, because you then analyse, well, what's the most common throw of two dice well it's a seven because you can make it in so many different ways like six and one five and two four and three three and four two and five uh, one and six so that you know throws are about six seven or eight get you into the orange region of property so everyone coming out of jail is is landing in these orange regions so that's my tip for monopoly players uh this holiday season buy the orange properties stack them with hotels and as everyone comes out of jail you get the chance to bankrupt them love that i love wish that. i knew that when i was playing my sister yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and there's another one too um about cluedo or or clue as it's called in some parts of the world there's actually yeah. one character who is a pretty good pick yes it's miss peacock because Actually, when you go into a room, you can pull a character 
or um, one of the murder weapons into the room. But um, you have to visit the room to ask about it. So it's really important to be able to get to the rooms. And Miss Peacock is the best positioned on that board to be able to get to rooms quickest at the beginning of the game. So um, that's my little tip for, for Cluedo or Clue as it's known in some places. This is great stuff and great for anyone who happens to be listening to this interview today. They're going to be cleaning up this summer. Um, you, your grandfather was uh, an important person in your life, a role model. I, I wonder if you ever were brave enough to challenge him at Scrabble, given that he was the chairman of a big publishing company and worked with people like T.S. Eliot and W.H. Odin. He did, yes. Um, I never played him at Scrabble, but actually, as I illust- uh, illustrate in the book, actually Scrabble is not necessarily a game for the wordsmiths. It's actually a game that often mathematicians can win because, you know, someone like my grandfather would have loved getting a really complex, beautiful word with uh, his seven letters or something. But what mathematicians do is, hey, it's all about scoring points. And you want to do that in the kind of like multiple ways. So um, Scrabble champions often learn all the two letter words that are acceptable in Scrabble. And then they use those to kind of like get multiple words out of one word. So uh, funny enough, the um, the Scrabble World Champion in English, I think, came from New Zealand one year, and he decided that, um, hey, I've just got this kind of algorithm that I use. Perhaps I can become champion in a language I don't even speak. <laughs> so he decided to enter the French Scrabble Championship, and sure enough, won it just using his kind of mathematical tricks for scoring many points. So. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure my grandfather would have enjoyed that, but but actually my grandfather was quite important because he lived quite next near the British Museum, and I would go up uh, very often at the weekends and then just wander around the British Museum after staying the night at my grandparents, and and it's there that I met one of the very oldest board games in history, which is um, the Royal Game of Or, which is a five thousand year game from Mesopotamia. So um, so he, oh, he was quite important in instilling that first love of ancient games. What mesmerised you about that game? I think partly just it's aesthetically so beautiful. Um, It's got uh, kind of beautiful inlaid sort of shells. Uh, The shape of the board is kind of curious because it's a sort of um, almost like a a T-shape. It's got a kind of central Mm. run of squares down the middle and two rectangles on either side. Um, So it, it is really beautiful, but also it's, kind of like the early version of a game that I really love, which I think is almost the perfect game, which is Backgammon. Both of them are racing games and Backgammon probably evolved out of this early racing game from Mesopotamia. Yes, you write that I've, quote, I've whiled away many an evening in the bare huts of the Bedouin in Sinai, accompanied by a nargile, a cup of tea and a Backgammon board, which suggests that that games speak a common language. Yeah, I think that's actually what I found in common with mathematics. You know, I can go to a country and the mathematics that we're talking um, is actually very similar, even though we may not share a language. And I think that's very similar to to games as well. So even though the the Bedouin didn't speak much English when he first explained the rules to me, I, I just got the the game very quickly. And I think that's one of the reasons I love backgammon, because the rules are very simple to explain, yet as you play the game, it's, you know, so many complicated versions, outcomes. Um, so that's a really key 
uh, ingredient for me of a really good game is simple rules. I mean, if I'm still explaining the rules to my family after two minutes, they're, they're <laughs> off doing something completely different. And the game has to go back on, on the shelf. So. Yeah, a friend of mine who uh, is really into board games says it's it's worth looking at YouTube for explanations of how the game works. That will sometimes get you there faster than trying to make your way through an instruction manual on I- a new game. I totally agree. There are some fantastic people out there who are just um, explaining, you know, like in 10 minutes, the mechanics of the game. And just to see somebody implementing them uh, on the screen, I, I always go to YouTube as my my kind of default to to see uh, how somebody's explained the game, because that helps me actually explain the game to to newcomers as well when they, they come to sit around the kitchen table and play games with us. I'm talking to mathematician Professor Marcus de Sotoy. We're talking about games. His book is called Around the World in 80 Games. A mathematician unlocks the secrets of the greatest games. And defining what is and isn't a game, Marcus, is that more complicated than it sounds? Yeah. In fact, uh, Wittgenstein talked about this because he believed that um, we know what words mean not because of a definition in a dictionary, but the way we use them. And in fact, one of the 80 games I talk about is something uh, Wittgenstein's language games. He says that we understand words by by playing this game with the words. And his prime example is actually game. He says it's really hard to pin down the definition of a game. If you try and do it, you'll always find there's something you didn't mean <laughs> to include and there are other things you excluded. Um, but there is a nice definition um, that uh, uh, a philosopher Bernard Sweets came up with. He said it's a, a voluntary attempt to overcome uh, uh, unnecessary obstacles. <laughs> and I quite like that because it <laughs> sort of um, sums up yeah, because, you know, it's, it's voluntary. So, you know, you must be playing a game through your free will. You know, if you're if you're not, then it's work. Um, and somehow it's about rules. So there are rules, these kind of strange rules you put in place. And then you're trying to sort of get to the destination, even though you put these strange rules um, to, to kind of stop you getting quickly. I mean, like chess, you know, why don't you just move all the pieces around? But no, you, you say, no, this piece can only move like this. And we kind of enjoy those constraints but of course those rules are actually why a mathematician is writing this book because mathematics is all about looking mm. at the logical implications of rules and constraints so that's why i think you know games are actually a way of playing mathematics there's mathematics hiding behind um, all, all the games that we love playing okay so we can agree on that definition of what makes a game what makes a great game I think uh, we've already said that it should, uh, shouldn't finish before it ends, the meaning that um, right up to the last minute, you, should, mm. you shouldn't know who's going to win. It, I also think it shouldn't be finish before – it shouldn't end before it starts, which, I mean, some <laughs> games you sort of know – you know, like if, I, if you – Gary Kasparov against Donald Trump is not going to be an interesting chess, <laughs> chess match because, you know, you know who's going to win. So – I think pure strategy games sometimes suffer like chess because you really need to match the players, you know, very equally. Uh, A beginner is not going to have a chance against uh, somebody experienced. So that's why I think an element of chance and strategy um, is key to making a really good game. The chance allows a beginner uh, the possibility to win, but you don't want pure chance. Something like snakes and ladders, you know, you're not really playing the game because you're just the machine throwing the dice um so you want some strategy because you want the ability to express yourself um, some agency in the game so 
I think that's why I, th I like backgammon because it's got the chance element with the throw of the dice. Yet, even if you've got bad dice, good strategy can put you in a very strong position. Um, I also think a, a story is quite important. And that doesn't mean it has to be about goblins and castles, but um, the, the, the game should have a kind of nice narrative arc to it. You know, a beginning, a middle game, the end game. It should have a kind of drama and jeopardy um, change of lead mm. happening. Um, so, so I think story is quite important um, to, to gameplay. Gambling's interesting because gambling, no, no strategy can um, put the odds in your favour. Although maybe it can help you lose a little less. Yes. Well, on the other hand, you know, of course, casinos employ mathematicians to ensure that in the long run they do come out on top, and that's <laughs> why you know I talk about the roulette wheel. That that zero or double zero sometimes, of course, is there to just give a little bit of an edge to the casino um such as in the long round run they come out on top so um yeah i think you know gam gambling is interesting because maybe if you're gambling and wanting to make money suddenly it's not becoming a game anymore i think one of the important components of a game is it should be inherently unproductive you know <laughs> you should just be doing it for the fun and if you're doing it to make money then isn't that turned into work not yeah. a game okay I'm with you on that one. You mentioned Dungeons and Dragons earlier, and um, there was a bit of moral panic when that game came out. But I wonder, with the perspective of history, whether it's actually been quite good for society, good maybe for kids who are a little introverted. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, the neurodiverse find uh, Dungeons and Dragons a, a wonderful place to just kind of open up and a safe environment to to try out different parts of their character through role playing. So uh, I think uh, it's been a, a very positive in the role, you know, and I think you, you can see just um, in things, things like Stranger Things, um, you know, what a cultural icon it is for the 1980s, but it's still actually a really popular game. And it has another, another interesting quality to it because um, it's a good example of the idea of a collaborative game. You're actually working together and each of the players has a strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's quite important, you know, uh, that we realize that somebody might be good at one thing, but not good at another. And, and it's about a combined team that means that you will have the chance to survive the, the dragons and the dungeon that your dungeon master has prepared for you. You say, tell me the game you play and I'll tell you who you are. Well, my game's Scrabble. We've also already sort of talked about Scrabble a <laughs> bit, and I think it is my maths brain that that enjoys that. The other one I really love, um, which I discovered a couple of years ago, is Code Names. Have you come across that? And if so, what does it say yeah. about me? <laughs> um, yeah, Code Names is a fantastic game. Again, it's a game that you need to play with quite a lot of people, so that's quite interesting. So some people like uh, games which are just with, with another partner, yeah. a bit like a you know a single dance but code names is important that you're playing with you know a partner but you're playing against another partnership as well it's a bit like bridge um but again that's kind of interesting it's 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 a little bit on wordplay because you've got to give hints about the uh code names for the the people in your team um so you're obviously somebody who likes uh words as part of their game which is kind of interesting but yeah i think code names is a really good um new recent game which has been very popular and to those older games, what do they tell us about the values and priorities of a particular culture in a particular moment yeah. in history? Well, I think it's interesting to see those cultures that enjoy giving themselves up to the role of the dice and allowing fate to decide things. So, you know, stakes and ladders 
is actually rather an ancient game. It, it has its origins in India. And those snakes and ladders were actually teaching people about good and bad karma. And the final huh. square was Nirvana or paradise. So this is actually a game which is modeling people's perspective on life, that actually um, fate is deciding your, your kind of future. Uh, uh, and um, so that's kind of interesting that even, you know, chess, which originally came from India, um, I was very surprised to discover that in India, originally, there was a dice involved in that, too, that you would roll a dice to huh. determine which piece you could move. So you didn't have freedom to move any piece. Um, and then when gambling was banned in India, um, they weren't allowed to use the dice. And then some bright spark said, hey, but couldn't we just choose the pieces? And it became the pure strategy game we know today. Um, so I think it's interesting that uh, I think India enjoys that kind of fatalistic view of life, whilst if you go to China, um, China, less, uh, they like more strategy games. Um, they also like sort of um, slow collecting games. So in India, you find chess, which is quite competitive, taking pieces off the board or the card game. There is a version of, of whist where you're capturing people's cards in tricks. But in China, you get uh, the strategy game there is Go, which is a very kind of slow capturing territory by surrounding it with your pieces um and the kind of version of the card game is actually played with tiles is mahjong where you're it's a bit like rummy so you're collecting runs mm. or or collecting all of the dragons or the winds um and so you then lay your hand down at the end of the game so there are these different styles of games which seem to appear in different places in the world yeah and not hard to work out what monopoly invented in the early 20th century in the u.s told us about american priorities Oh, but that's really interesting because the original version of that game was by a woman who was doing a critique on uh, capitalist culture. Huh. And when she took it to the game manufacturer, they didn't really like it, thought it was a too complicated game. And then some man nicked the idea and made it a kind of celebration of capitalism. <laughs> and look where it went from there. It took off after that. So, But I think the interesting new uh, territory, which is producing some fantastic games, um, is Germany. Um, I think the really fantastic modern games have sort of appeared after they introduced what I regard as kind of like the Oscars of board games. It's a prize called Spiel des Jahres, um, Game of the Year. And this actually inspired a whole new uh, genres of games because previously there were a lot of war games, things like Risk or Campaign. Um, but, you know, something like Panzer Division didn't really hack it in the Germany after the second mm. world war. So actually they banned war games. Um, and so game developers said, yeah, but we still want games. So let's try and uh, stimulate a kind of new style of gameplay. And that gave rise to things like, you know, Settlers of Catan, which uh, many regard as one of the, the great modern board games of our time. So it was the restrictions in, in Germany that spurred on the creativity. That's a quite a nice metaphor for games themselves, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. And what's very exciting now is seeing a lot more women coming into uh, board game design. Um, so, uh, and they're introducing, you know, new themes there. Uh, are, in the book, I talk about a woman who said, I, I was tired of uh, castles and, and knights fighting. And so she produced this one, wonderful new game called Wingspan, which is, you know, her passion was nature. And the game is about you know, collecting birds for your nature reserve. And so I think it's really lovely to see just these, all these new themes coming in, new stories uh, being part of, of the games. So which game ticks all the boxes for you? 
Oh, well, I, I suppose backgammon is my ancient game, but I think of modern games, either Settlers of Catan, which I'm sure listeners who are playing it say, yeah, that's a really good choice. Yeah. The other one I really like is um, Ticket to Ride. We play that a lot with my family. Um, again, again, very simple to learn the rules. Um, it's a game which you you don't know who's winning right up till the end. And huh. basically you're laying down train tracks across um, America uh, actually it grew out of the story of Phileas Fogg because he takes a train across uh, America. And so the box says, you know, you're, you're now build, building the train tracks that Phileas Fogg once went across. Um, but I, I actually, anyone who plays that game, there are some tips in my book for my strategies for playing that game. So basically I'm blowing all my mathematical strategies, um, which I kept secret for years. And this book is giving away all my tips for play games. Yeah. Mind you, it might be better for you in the long run because people might feel like they're more evenly matched. When I got good at Scrabble, I could, could never find anyone to play against. And you must find the same <laughs> thing as a world-renowned mathematician. I do, yeah. My family say, you know, I'm not playing with you anymore, Dad, because you always know these clever tricks and um so yeah partly it's about getting people back uh, around the kitchen table uh, to play with yeah you're just like the casino yeah <laughs> house always wins <laughs> yes even even rock scissors paper is it true you managed to work out a way of getting an advantage <laughs> in that well, it, the important thing if you're doing it over a kind of best of five, um, you want to try and spot patterns in what your opponent is doing. You know, do they always follow rock with paper? Um, so spotting patterns is really key to beating somebody else, but also it's key to you not uh, losing because you don't want to give away patterns that you might have. So actually I used um, a number in mathematics called pi, which is um, 3.14159 goes on very randomly and i use that actually to make my choices so unless somebody knows that i'm using pi and again i've blown it in this book because i explained this it was a strategy i used in a rock paper scissors championship in philadelphia and i got th right through to the semi-final huh. um but then i met my match because um i noticed the guy at the end who beat me he had a wonderful fibonacci spiral tattooed <laughs> onto his arm so i think he smelt the mathematics and um, <laughs> caught me out there oh, i love that well done on this book um so much to talk about and there's plenty more in the book as well it's called around the world in 80 games a mathematician unlocks the secrets of the greatest games professor marcus du sotoy thanks so much for your time thanks for playing